because it's Father's Day. Dads, I want us to, to help relate a little bit to Peter. I want us to get to know a little bit about Peter. So four things about Peter. First thing we know about Peter, Peter was a fisherman. And it's not the ladies can't fish. It's just that fishing's more of a, more of a guy's thing, right? Like, like we want bloody, stinky bait, treble hooks. Like why would you fish when one, with one hook when you can have three? A couple weeks ago, I was down in Florida and I bought my first shark rig. Like that's fishing, right? That's fishing. Peter was a fisherman, not a hobby. This is how he paid his bills. All right, this was hard. This was his job. Not like today. I mean, this is hand nets, like rowing, sailboats. And he was a professional, professional fisherman. For me, some of my favorite memories growing up as a kid was, was fishing with my dad. And we had this little blue rowboat and he was the trolling motor. So I'm sitting up at the front just, just fishing and, and he's the one just, just rowing, rowing, rowing. And the fish are always biting further away, right? The next year we, we bought this little bass boat and, and I thought it was for me, it had a trolling motor, but now that I think about it, I think it was more for dad. Like we know Peter was a fisherman. Second thing, we know Peter was married. Did you know that? Not all of the disciples were single. That when Peter met Jesus, Peter was married. Matthew 8 verse 14 says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. How do you get a mother-in-law? You get married, right? So Jesus comes into Peter's house. It's Peter's house and, and his mother-in-law is living with him and his mother-in-law is sick. And, and Jesus comes in, the first thing he does is he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And I'm sure Peter was just so thankful, right? So thankful. Peter had a career, he had a house, he had a wife and he had a healthy mother-in-law. Third thing we know about Peter, I wonder if Peter had kids. Look at the very end of, of 1 Peter chapter five, jump all the way to the end. As Peter's wrapping up his letter, uh, he sends his greetings and look at verse 13, the last three words, chapter five, verse 13. And Peter says, Mark, my son. Have you ever imagined the 12 disciples as dads? Uh, this is Mark, the same person who wrote the gospel of Mark. And he knew what to write because Peter was there. Uh, Peter was an eyewitness with Jesus. And so scholars believe that the gospel of Mark, it comes from the hand of Peter, but it comes through the eyes. It comes from the hand of Mark, but it comes through the eyes of Peter. This is Mark who traveled in the book of Acts with Paul and Barnabas. And, and here when, when Peter says that, that Mark is, is a son, he's, he's most likely referring to Mark is, is like a son. He is this younger disciple, that, that he is like this adopted son who has spent his life traveling together, serving together with Peter. Outside the Bible, church history tells us that Peter had a daughter. And it would have been unusual for a, a married Jewish man to not have kids. And so Peter, Peter was a dad. Last thing we know about Peter, Peter is, is writing this letter 30 to 35 years after he first met Jesus. Uh, this puts Peter somewhere in the 60s, 60 to 65 years old. And so it's possible that, that Peter is, he could even be a grandfather. See, we, we, when we read 1 Peter, don't think of Peter as this like young, immature, like loud, obnoxious, like something in his 20s. No, this, this, is, this is Grandpa Pete. I mean, this is 30, 35 years later. 
So today, Father's Day, I, I want us to enter this text as if Peter is our father, maybe even grandfather, that Peter is wanting to pass on truths to the next generation, that he's, he's pulling us aside and he's wanting to, to speak into us. At this point in the letter, Peter now shifts from this, this general, just general theological statements to, to now practical instruction. Like that's what dads do. Like they lay the foundation and then they give application. That's what Peter is doing. Hey men, we, we like things to be simple clear and upfront. So here it is. Live holy in a hostile world. Live holy in a hostile world. And this is the idea that, that Peter is gonna introduce uh, today in this text. And really, this is the main theme of the rest of his letter. How to live holy, how to live as a Christian holy, set apart in a hostile world. He's laid the foundation, chapter one, first 10 verses in chapter two. Now starting in verse 11, chapter two, this begins the practical instruction. This, this is the application. He's gonna give us four truths and two examples. Let's look at verse 11. Chapter two, verse 11, Peter says, beloved, I urge you. See, Peter knows that you're, you're not a little child. You don't, you don't have to follow the rules. He can't force you. He can't make you. As a father, as a grandfather, he, he is urging. He is, he is pleading. He is, he is begging, like, hear me. Listen to me. Like, I, I, I know what I'm talking about. Loved one, listen. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. 35 years of pastoring, preaching, teaching, disciple-making, church planting, 35 years of, of growing in his own faith with the Lord. And the first thing that Peter says, war against self. See, this is the opposite message of our world. Our, our world says, follow your passions. Like, like, you just be you. Peter says abstain. Like zero tolerance. Have nothing to do with it. Like, like cut it out, remove yourself. When Paul uses the same phrase, passions of the flesh, Paul uses it in the in context of, of lust and purity, of sensuality. But Peter, and, and elsewhere, elsewhere throughout scripture, the, the flesh is the self. It's the natural self, the, the physical, the human side, not the spiritual side, not the redeemed. And so here when Peter is talking about to, to abstain from the passions of flesh, he, he's saying to, to have zero tolerance for self. Abstain from the passions of self. See, sin bends us towards self. Our human side, our fallen side has, has been hijacked by sin. I mean, this, this is the apostle Peter. Like there are, there are statues of him. There are paintings, like whole cathedrals have been built and named after him. And the first thing that he says, well, he doesn't say, man, this Christian life, like I'm just crushing this Christian life. Like, like sin and temptation have just, it's just kind of gone away. Like, I don't struggle anymore. Like, life is good. I am retired. I am Grandpa Pete. No, the first thing that he says 
is to go to war with self. See, Peter is pressing into us, next generation, some some hard truths. He's trying to get our attention, trying to prepare us in life. In church, it's so easy to think that the war is on the outside, right? That, That we war against culture, We war against Satan and spiritual forces, that that we war against evil, that we war against anything that's anti-Christian. But Peter says, the war starts within. That the war starts first here on the inside, that that yeah, we live in enemy-occupied territory, but, but the war starts here. And the war for who will capture your soul, it begins with your heart. It begins here with self. And so he says, go to war, that we fight against sin, that we battle against temptation, that that following Jesus is this call to die to self, that that we betray ourself for God. Because holiness, holiness is not something that you outsource. Holiness does not come from the outside and then creep in. Holiness starts here that you go to war with yourself, that you capture your soul. It starts here with ourself, with our flesh. Living holy just just means that we we live set apart, that we live different, that we live unlike the world. And so Peter is, he's pressing us and he is gonna push us. He, he is going against the stream of society. This is a, gonna be a, a challenging, a convicting. This is a countercultural message that, that Peter is pushing against us. But holiness isn't new. I mean, holiness is rooted all the way back in the Old Testament that, that we are to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. And so Peter is ringing that bell, that Christians, that the church, that we are to be holy, that it starts here and holiness is hard and holiness in a hostile anti-Christian world is even harder. But he doesn't let us off the hook to war against self. Truth number two, Peter's pressing into us to, uh, to live with honor. Look at verse 12. Live with honor. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, if we go back to the Roman Empire, all of society is, is created in this hierarchy that the power and the, and the privilege are, are for the, the elite, the few, the social who's who at the top, and so think of this pyramid where, where emperor would have been on the top, the, the, the supreme ruler and king would have been on the very top. Underneath him would have been these senators, high-ranking military leaders, politicians, just more government. And then further down, we have some landowners. You have some local leaders, more government. This, this is the top of society, top of the pyramid, but it only made up about 5% of the total population, 5% the social elite, the few. They had the power, they had the position, they had the privilege. Next is is more of like the middle class. What we think of middle class, but but they are nowhere near the middle. This is only about 10% of the total population. 
This is the business owners. This is the merchants. Uh, these people had, had some money, but, but no wealth. They had maybe some privilege, but, but they had no power. Underneath them, everyone else. 85% of the total Roman population fit here in the lower class. 85%. The rich got richer, the poor got poor. This is the slaves, the working poor, the blue collar, the hourly workers. I mean, they had no power, no privilege, no position, no prestige, just nothing's status in life. Life was about survival. And even here at the very bottom, the very bottom of the lower class, there was a group, they were, they were known as the expendables. They were the widows, the orphans, prisoners, beggars, even those with disabilities. But when Jesus comes, Jesus comes and he flips this social pyramid. Jesus comes to those and gives value to those, the widows, the orphans, the beggars. He sets the captives free, the demon possessed, those who are disabled, Jesus comes and heals. He gives hope. He, he flips this social pyramid. That's the New Testament church. The New Testament church is, is this lower class. They were the 85% of society, the working poor, paycheck to paycheck. It was survival. So if you don't have power, if you don't have positions, if you don't have privilege, how do you influence others? You live with honor. Live with honor. Honor isn't something that you're born into. Honor isn't something you can buy. It is something you earn. So Peter is saying to live with honor. Conduct your life in an honorable way. We, we, we've lost a lot of this thinking here in the West, but it still dominates the East, this, this honor and shame culture. One of the worst thing that you can do for your family, for your group, is to bring shame upon those you associate with. The best thing that you can do, life is about bringing honor to your group, honor to your class, honor to your family. And so employees would work hard to bring honor to the company. Athletes and soldiers would, would bring honor to their city. It was all about the group. It's not about the individual. It's about you contributing to the whole, the whole of society to bring honor to your group, to your social class. Let's look at verse 12 again. Keep, keep your conduct, your, your lifestyle. Keep your lifestyle among the Gentiles, non-believers. Keep your lifestyle among the non-believers honorable so that when... Not if. Peter doesn't say if. He says when they speak against you, plural, not individual, but when they speak against you, your group, your family, your church, when they speak against all of you Christians as evildoers, the word is criminals, that when the non-believers see your life and when they speak evil against you as Christians, as criminals, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That when people see your good deeds, see is this present, active, continuous, that, that from a distance they, they observe this pattern and behavior of your life, your lifestyle. That over time they, they see a consistency 
an authenticity. They, they see integrity and character that, that over time that you are, have a pattern of good deeds living in a way that is honorable. See, the way that we live with honor, the way that we influence others, it's not through power. It's not through position. It's not through privilege. It's, it's how we live. To live consistently to live a, a pattern of integrity, to live with honor. And when people see this in you, this not only makes you, this, this makes your group, this makes the church, this makes all Christians look good. Hey, do you know when the best time to plant a tree is? 10 years ago, right? The best time to grow in your character, it's today. Small, simple steps. It's not complicated. It's not overwhelming. Holiness is about one small step, this conscience, deliberate, a deliberate choice to, to do the right thing today. That in this small action that I'm gonna do right now, like I'm doing the right thing, that I'm gonna live with honor, that I'm gonna live up to the character of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to live with honor, these little decisions it creates consistency, it creates habits, it creates this pattern, a lifestyle over time. See, we, we can't just go to war against self. It would it'd be too easy to become this, this inward focused. We, we must also be thinking on the outside that we live with honor. Honor is seen, honor is visible, honor in what you do, doing the right thing every time. Little decisions, small steps, living with honor. Truth number three, Peter, wanted, Peter wants to press into us today, probably the hardest truth is to submit to authority. Look at verse 13. Uh, now be subject, in other words, submit, like, like yield, like, like place yourself under why? For the Lord's sake. That's important. Why, why do we submit? It's, it's because of the Lord. It's for the Lord's sake, not, not us. For the Lord's sake to who? Every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And let's be honest, two of these three words we don't like. We don't like submit and we don't like authority. Peter puts them together. And when I was asked to, to first preach this passage and I'm, I'm reading these words and I'm just thinking, oh man. Like I'm looking for the conditional clause. I'm looking for the if-then statement. I'm, I'm looking for the loophole. Peter writes in absolute language. Abstain, live, submit. Submit to every human institution. Like I want wiggle room, right? Like, like I wanna be able to make that, that, that choice for myself. I don't wanna be told what to do. I wanna pick and choose. I, I want terms, like on the right condition, yeah, I'll submit to authority, but, but it's gotta be on these terms. That's not what Peter does here. 
Peter says, submit to every human institution and he starts with the government. When Peter wrote this, the Christians were taking heat. Uh, the Jews didn't like them. The Gentiles didn't like them. The Romans hated them. When the early Christians gathered together, people were spreading rumors that they, they ate the body and they drank the blood. See, the world didn't understand the symbolism of communion. And so the early church was accused of, of being cannibals and murderers. That was the reputation. Like that's why they were being accused of being criminals. Like, oh, you, you go to that church? So how do you silence ignorance? How do you silence foolish people spreading rumors and gossip and slander and lies? You live with honor. You make it irrefutable. You make it undeniable. You live consistently with honor. And when Peter wrote this, Nero, Nero was the emperor of Rome and Nero hated Christians. I mean, we, we, we think we have it bad today. Nero killed his own mother. He killed his wife. He killed his second wife. Every coin in the Roman Empire had a picture of, of Nero and said, in Nero, we trust. He ruled for 30 years. He was the most violent, vicious emperor of Rome. And he was the only, the only supreme ruler that Peter knew in his Christian lifetime. That Peter, uh, that, that Nero ruled for 30 years, the entire time that Peter was a Christian. There's a story of, of Nero that he's in this chariot race. And so here's, he's in his chariot and, and somehow he falls out of his chariot. He, he doesn't cross the finish line. He doesn't even finish the race. And yet the judges awarded him the winner of the race, giving him the victor's crown. A couple years later, after writing this letter, Nero burns the city of Rome. He, he tries to burn down the city of Rome and then he blamed it on the Christians. He wanted the glory of rebuilding Rome. And in his letter, in 1 Peter, Peter uses this, this verb. It's, it's a future tense verb. He uses this, this interesting verb um, describing an action that, that hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. It's, it's, it's imminent. It's, it's coming in the near future. This, this action has not yet happened, but, but it's on the horizon. I can see it. I know it's coming. And so he writes to, to help prepare these Christians who are exiled, scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. This, that Peter sees what's, what's swirling around in society. He sees what's happening at the, the political and governmental levels. And, and so he writes this letter to prepare the future Christians for what's coming in the near future. He sees it coming. Right now, when he writes this, it's, it's social suffering. It's slander. It's gossip. It's lies. It's rumors. It's, it's accusations. They're criminals. The persecution hasn't happened but it's coming. In just a few years, Peter is gonna be crucified by Nero, by Nero. He's gonna be nailed to a cross upside down. And before he dies, he watches his wife be crucified. Church history tells us the last three words that Peter said to his dying wife, remember the Lord. When Peter says to submit to authority, he, he doesn't give us loopholes. 
yeah, but Nero is evil. I mean, Nero is, he's crazy. Nero is, is anti-Christian. Peter says, submit. But, 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 I don't, but I don't trust them. They don't know what they're doing. I didn't vote for them. Peter says, submit. Submit to every human institution. He starts nationally and then locally. Church, I know this isn't what we want to hear. I mean, this year has pushed us. And just like Peter, if, if we were to look into the near future, it doesn't look like it's going to get better. See, we don't have to agree with the people in charge or policies, but, but Peter is calling us to submit to the authority, to the position that God allows. And there are times in scripture, there are times where we see God's people disobey and rebel against the government. We do see that. Exodus, Daniel, Acts, and Hebrews, God's people disobey the government. And the difference is when Christians are, are directly asked to sin, that's the difference. When they are asked to violate their moral conscience, moral conscience is not preference, it's the moral conscience of what God has determined to be right and wrong, what God has decreed and established in his word. And if the government asks to violate that, the church has rebelled. But if it's not a sin issue, God expects us to submit to authority. That holiness is hard. Because we are sojourners and exiles, Peter says. That, that this world is not our home. That we don't belong here. And, and the world does not recognize the person that we follow. It doesn't share the same values and belief system. We have a completely different worldview. Holiness is hard, but, but holiness in a hostile, anti-Christian world is even harder. This morning, I, I just want to preach what the text says. I wish there was some loopholes. I wish there were more caveats here. I'm preaching what the text says and, and I'm asking that the spirit would be just working on you, applying in you. So what does this look like? like? Like practically, like this week, like this year, like what does this look like for me to submit? Peter doesn't get specific. He just says, submit. This is a 30,000 high level view of, of what it looks like to be holy. And he starts with Submit. A couple Sundays ago, I was driving on 36. I was, I was coming to church. It's about 7.30 in the morning and I was pulled over. Like it's not a good day on a Sunday when the pastor is pulled over. I saw the police officer. He was like 50 yards ahead of me and he was going 65. So I thought I could go 65. And then he slows down, pulls onto the shoulder, lets me pass, pulls up right behind me and lights go on. I'm driving this 2004 Silverado. My back window is held together by duct tape. This, this officer comes up to me and he comes up to the window and he says, hey, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, well, I think I might've been driving a little fast. 
I'm just thinking, I'm just following you, man. He says, no, you, you were driving down the center of the highway and you didn't use your blinker to signal when you changed lanes. Well, true. I didn't use my blinker. Like I'm one of those like blinkers or optional drivers. And, and I started to argue with him. I'm like, wait, I, I wasn't driving down the middle. Like I was going there. I wasn't driving down the middle of the highway. Like I wasn't trying to be rude. I, I was actually confused. Like I wasn't driving down the middle. Like what are you doing? I realized I was arguing with an officer. Like why am I doing that? Because of the flesh. Because I'm warring within. Police officer says, where are you going? I said, to church. He said, to what church? Pause. Like, there are a couple churches from here to there, and I am running through the list in my mind thinking, and I said, Radiant Bible Church. Like, he heard me, but he wasn't really listening. He was looking at my back window with the duct tape. License and registration. He goes back to his car, runs my plates. He comes back, it's just a warning. Gives me my license, my registration. I turn on my blinker and I merge back onto the highway, driving down my lane. See, I, I pulled over, I wasn't submitted. That, that we can't submit to authority until we first war with the flesh. That we go to war against our own self. And then we live with honor and then submit to authority. Truth number four, Peter is pressing into us. This isn't just fatherly advice. This, this is God's word pressing into us. Truth number four, turns suffering into service. Look at verse 16. I live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. I love this, that, that we are free servants that somehow in, in God's economy, in his kingdom, that this works together, that we are to be free servants. Peter says, honor everyone. Everyone means everyone. Like show respect, Christian, non-Christian, those who are different, those who, who think, who act, those who are different, unlike you, honor everyone. Blanket statement, everyone. But then he says, love the brotherhood. This is the church, that we are called to love believers, agape love, no loophole, no condition, no terms that's unconditional, that we are to selflessly love others, other believers, putting the church before ourself. And then Peter says, fear God. See, fear is a combination. It's a combination of, of this love and honor and, and there's this higher obligation as we move from honor everyone, higher obligation to, to love believers. The highest obligation is then to fear God. Fear God is this honor, this respect, and this love at the same time. So just as, as Rome has this social pyramid, so, so Peter is putting together this social pyramid of, of how we relate to one another. He puts God at the top, not emperor, not Nero, but God at the top, and then the church, and then everyone. And then look at this. He says, honor the emperor. See what he just did? He just dropped Nero. He just dropped the emperor from the very top of the social pyramid all the way back down to the bottom. 
He put Nero, the emperor, on equal terms with everyone else who is a non-believer at the bottom of the social level. This implies Nero or, or the emperor is not a Christian, not a part of the brotherhood. And so how do we relate? We don't have to love. We don't have to fear. We honor. We honor the emperor. We show respect to the position. The higher obligation is for the believers, for the church, and for God. Unless Jesus comes back, the children who are up here with apparent child dedication, at least from, from our perspective today, it looks like they will be growing up in an increasingly unchristian world that will be more anti-Christian, that will be more hostile than it is today. And so we have books like 1 Peter, that when Peter wrote this, he wasn't just applying it to, to the first century, the early church in the Roman Empire under the, re, the regime of Nero. He's, he's applying it, it's relevant to today. And as we're looking into the near future, seeing that what's coming, what's coming from the horizon we are holding on to these truths, applying them today. He's, he's pressing into us. But like a good dad, Peter doesn't just tell us what to do. He, he shows us. He gives us two examples. The first example is a servant with his master. Look at verse 18. A servant, uh, submit to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, when mindful of God, that when we are conscious of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, you, uh, but when, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. See, today with our, our jobs, with our workplace, like what we're so obsessed with, with happiness, but, but what Peter is going after here is, is holiness. And he calls us to submit to not just the, the good and the gentle, but the unjust, the unfair. See, here Peter does give us conditions. He does have if-then statements. And then he takes it one step further. He says, submit, how? With all respect, all respect. Like not just when your manager is in the room, like not just when it's, it's time for promotion, not, not, not just when, when your teacher or coach is, is watching, not just when you're talking with your parents and then you, you turn to go to your bedroom and you roll your eyes, it's, it's with all respect. Whoever is over you, all respect, even when it's unfair and unjust. These are hard truths. Okay, maybe right now you have a terrible boss. Terrible. You've been overlooked. You've been mistreated. It's unclear. It's unfair. It's impartial. You just feel stuck in this job, frustrated. Nobody notices. Nobody cares. Maybe you've just been waiting for, for years for, for something to happen, for something to be changed, for something to be noticed. And verse 20, that God sees you, that if you continue to do good, if you endure, 
that God sees you. It is a gracious thing in the sight of God. First example is a servant with his master, and the second example is, is Christ. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called. This is our calling. As, as Christians, as, as followers of Christ, this is, is what Peter lays out. This is what we should expect. This is what we are called to. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That we are to follow the steps of Christ. What's that look like? Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to, the, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, that we might war to self and live to righteousness, live with honor. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, Christ is our example. This word example, it's only found here, only found one time in the whole Bible. An example was, was like this stencil. It was this pattern that, that children in, in school, they, they would have been copying this example, copying this stencil, learning how to write the alphabet. And so as they're, as they're young and, and, and just getting going, I mean, they're, they're writing, but they're coloring out of the lines. And, and over time, over practice, the more that they are writing, the more that they are following this pattern and tracing around this stencil, the more they are learning how to do it on their own. Church, the same is true for us. That as we follow Christ, as, as, we, as we trace our lives around him, imitating, replicating, following his example, his life over our life, we're not making it up on our own. We're, we're following the copy, following the guide. We copy the example of Christ. That's how we live holy in a hostile world. That we imitate him. We can't do this on our own. It's not just the example, it, it takes Christ in us. See, the only way to be holy is to know the one who is holy. Amen. And so as we follow his holiness in our lives, we, we trace him, we follow him, and then we can be holy because he is holy. He is our example, he is the shepherd, he is the overseer of our soul, and so we follow him tracing his life. Let's pray. Lord, as, as we come to your word, Lord, as you press into us with hard truths, Lord, this, this conviction, this, this challenge, Lord, this, this countercultural living, Lord, Lord, this, this isn't easy, and you know that. Lord, there's times it, it honestly just doesn't make sense and it's confusing. It almost seems contradictory. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you be just wrestling with your spirit even in our own souls? 
Lord, wrestling with these hard truths of, of what it looks like this week to go to war with myself. Lord, how to live with honor and submitting and turning suffering into service. Jesus, we, we need more of you and less of us. Lord, you are the, follow, the, the, the example that we follow. And so we, we take a step and we imitate and we, we wanna copy your life of, of who you are and what you've done, how you lived. May that be true of us. That as we continue to, to step into an, an, an unholy, an unrighteous, a hostile world, Lord, help us. Just as you were with that first century church and those believers, Lord, we trust, we know you were with us. So God, we lean into you, asking for your holiness to live through us, that we can reflect you and represent you and live in a way that is unlike this world. Help us. Praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.